We want you, Shane. Joey, there's no living with with a killing. There's no going back from one. Right or wrong, it's a brand. A brand sticks. There's no going back. Now you run on home to your mother and tell her. Tell her everything's all right. And there aren't any more guns in the valley. Shane. It's bloody. You're hurt. I'm all right, Joey. You go home to your mother and your father and grow up to be strong and straight. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. You know how this works. We watch movies separately, talk about it for the first time. Sometimes it's a movie we've seen a whole bunch of times, but never got around to discussing. And that's the case for today, because Mike, what movie are we doing today that we've each seen a hundred times, but never talked about? What is it? Shane. Shane. I like the Shane, the 1953 George Stevens masterpiece. So in the first part, we always talk about our overall take on the film. Mike, what's yours? I think you once told me to read the book of Shane, which I I, I think that you like. It's kind of inconceivable for me to think of Shane as anything else but a movie. Uh, it's classic in the sense that its particular color scheme even is instantly recognizable. It has a thousand instantly recognizable scenes. Uh, it's got classic Hollywood jokes. It's it's a formulation that absolutely works within a very tight time frame. You know, the stranger rolls yep. into town and rolls out. And yet um, I've also seen. Have you ever seen Pale Rider? Sure. The Clint, the Clint, OK, so, you know, very that's much like Clint, this. Yeah. Clint Eastwood remakes Shane. That's his Shane. Yeah. But it's not as charming. And I, I'm, I it's very difficult to say what it is about Alan Ladd, who's uh, not he does it doesn't scream cowboy right like even when you see him right um dressed up as shane there's something very self-consciously hokey or or hollywood cowboy about the formulation but somehow it works within the dreamscape of shane you're supposed to imagine the open plane but somehow the universe is very limited and there seems like there's no way to get away and this movie makes me feel very claustrophobic i also think jack palance is terrifying uh, th- that may be a hot take, but uh, I, th- I find him just as scary as original audiences did, I think. Well, it is a better movie than Pale Rider. And it's funny because you would think Pale Rider has, quote unquote, more, uh, I guess the ro- it's the wrong word, but realism, right? Right. And you've got you've got Clint Eastwood as the Shane, but it, it doesn't work as well as Shane does. And it's funny what you said about the novel. I just reread the novel um, in prep for the podcast and uh, written by um, who wrote that? Jack Schaefer. And, and the movie is so faithful to the book. You know, in the book, Joey tells the story. It's, it's like Maddie Ross and True Grit. Joey's the adult narrator, yeah, telling the story. And the book's maybe, you know, it's like 180 pages. Like, it's a great book to read, you know, on a Saturday. And the, and the movie is, it's like the Maltese Falcon. Like, it is like page for page, like line for line, a faithful adaptation. 
I love what you said about Alan Ladd too, looking like kind of hokey because when you first see him, he's dressed up. He almost looks, it's like a Buffalo Bill Cody kind of outfit with the, uh, the fringe and stuff like that. But you're right. Like as the movie goes on, he, he, you're so, you're so drawn to him and he's so charismatic that by the end, like your heart's like totally in your throat. And I, it, it's not a hidden symbolism. I'll tell you what occurred to me almost immediately, even watching it again. Buffalo Bill's defunct who used to ride a water smooth silver yeah. stallion and break one, two, three, four, five pigeon just like that. Jesus, he was a handsome man. And what I want to know is how do you like your blue eyed boy, Mr. Death? Yeah, that, he... that's exactly what you think. As And especially as soon as he puts the Shane outfit on, uh, yeah. th that's that's all you can think about. Yeah, that E. Cummings Paul, that's great. That's exactly what he's like. And also what you said about how he kind of like, it's like the beginning of the searchers, right? He just rides out of the landscape and then he comes in and interacts with these people for a while. Then he kind of goes away. And what I love about that, what I realized watching it again this time, which was like made me smile so much is that he almost rides out of like our imagination as like a cowboy. Like I'm going to imagine a cowboy right now. And like in the distance of your mind comes Alan Ladd on a horse and you don't get his backstory. You just get that he's, he's got the jitters. It's almost like this gunslinger PTSD or something. And then he's there. And it reminded me of so much of movies like um, The Bishop's Wife. Or, or it's like where he's like this otherworldly like figure, this supernatural figure, like this angel who comes and like helps one of the protagonists figure it out. It's like he's Joe Starrett's muse. He's like Van Heflin's muse. And, and to to the credit of the film and the book, you know, Joe isn't a wimp. It's not like he's like a you know a little wimp who has to learn how to be strong. He's already a pretty tough guy. He's the definitely the toughest guy of all the farmers. But Shane kind of gives him that like extra like impetus. Like his he's like his like his Jiminy Cricket or his 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 Cary Grant figure or like Mister Jordan in Heaven Kuwait to help him along. Right. Imagine uh, Shane, but Joe's a pacifist. Yeah. Uh, and also one thing that I really like about this movie is how annoying Joey the kid is. Um, he's just got this annoying. A blank face. His, his voice is annoying. Uh, his his games are like actual little boys games. Like I'm going to kill this chicken with a fake uh, rifle stick. Um, he's he's just he's a weird kid. He's not he's not a Hollywood kid in, in the same way. The only Hollywood thing that he does uh, is when he crouches down with his candy, which is, uh, of course, that, you know, you can. It's the most immortal scene in, yeah. in the history of, of, of Hollywood movies. But I think that one that one reason why Shane looks so hokey is because this is about the, this is about the dream of cowboys yep. in Hollywood. And it's also why we're, you can remake a thousand star Wars movies and we're still not over Shane or, or out of Shane, right? Shane can't retire. And so he, he both is a person and they dramatize it very well that, yeah. that he's an individual, <laughs> right? He, he doesn't stand there like a symbol of everything that Hollywood stands for, but that's also what he is. And but he, he is a put symbol on a, of everything Hollywood stands for. Yeah. He can put on a blue shirt. He can put on whatever <laughs> yeah, whatever pants he wants. But you're still <laughs> you're still who you are. Yeah, that's great, and that's what he says at the end. But I love that how he puts on his his quote unquote work clothes dur during the whole movie, and then when he comes out with the with the with the Hollywood costume on at the end, you're like, all right, let's it's like let's go, as the kids say. You know what else you just said that which is funny, and I can't believe you said this because I thought the same thing is that when you watch it again, yeah, you notice that there's guns everywhere. The first scene is Joey, who I do not think is very annoying, but you have Joey with the gun, like they can believe he's going to shoot the deer, and there's guns all over the movie, and 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 you know his mother says some, you know, I don't want you to play with guns, and and at the end Shane says, tell your mother the guns are out of the valley uh, a gun is just a tool it's all over the movie but you know what i also noticed this time that was all over this movie fences 
they're 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 constantly like either working on fences, sitting on fences. There's a part where Joe's making fence posts. Shane's first job is to lay across the barbed wire when um the, you know the bad guy lets the uh, cattle run over Stonewall's. It's he they knock down the fence, and it's kind of funny because it's like this movie is about these people trying to like fence off this little little tiny spot of like the the wilderness or whatever you want to call it, and like kind of domesticate it, right? And Shane is from the other side of the fence, and then he comes into their their fenced in place and stays there for a while and tries to help him out but then he's got to go again well and that's that's the way in which joe's project is the antithesis of what shane stands for right shane does actually belong to the time uh, when the family next door can should be able to run their cattle through without without interruption but what joe stands for is you know i'm, I'm trying to do a thing here yeah. build the family you know raise kids i want my my grandchildren to inherit this homestead so it's got to have something around it yeah and that's why he's trying to pull out the stump because you know out in the out in the world who cares if there's a stump there but like that's why it's a big thing for him to get rid of that tree stump yeah but it, I, this whole movie is like a uh, superman pretends to be clark kent and tries to go back for his mba at night and it doesn't work <laughs> all right i'll see you in part two Welcome back. In part two, we always talk about a moment that we really liked watching the film again or a moment we think reflects the film as a whole. Mike, what's yours? My moment is when they goad Stonewall in, into a standoff and he dies like a dog in the street. Uh, there, there's a lot of moments. They usually come earlier in movies um, that they call uh, kicking the puppy moments where the villain shows you how bad and and tough he is. Um, and, and that's what Stonewall's death is is meant to signify uh but there's there's something there's something cowardly and dishonorable about it which is somehow set off for me by how much glee jack pounce seems to take in it um and and that's again i think another place where this movie violates realism but gets to the heart of what hollywood movies are about there's there's kind of like an almost liturgical high solemnity to what a bad villain Jack Palance is and how much he enjoys killing this guy and how he knows exactly what to say uh, to, to, to goad him into it. Um, and I, I always found that that scene very pathetic ever yes. from the first time that I watched this movie, for some reason that stuck out like a sore thumb, just like the kid uh, eating the candy and watching Shane and his dad beat up the entire town. And getting Elijah Cook Jr. to play that part. I mean, talk about perfect casting, right? It's a it's amazing. And he's there there's such well-drawn characters in this movie. You you don't tend to think of a Western like this as an ensemble piece. Yeah, at least right. not in the way that right. say stagecoach is an ensemble right. piece or something like that, but but it very much is, right? Yeah. The, the the Swede, the other neighbors. Yeah. Um, the villains, the townsfolks, Grafton, the, the store owner, Grafton, the store owner, who's, you know, uh, who's a ambiguous, well, he's, he's only on the side of commercial interest, right. which is don't break anything in the store, which is, is beautiful. And I don't know, I, you, you just don't think of it as an ensemble drama. You think yeah. of it as starring Alan Ladd, but it really doesn't in a way he's, he's the key central character, but, um, there, everybody's so beautifully drawn that it's almost difficult to say that the movie has a light touch because of course it, it doesn't but in the way that it draws characters and brings them in and out it definitely does 
Yeah, that's a great point. But I, and I love you have a graph on the side of, you know, there's the store side and the saloon side where Riker and the bad guys hang out. It's a little, little parenthetical side biographical note. When I was a kid, my my parents finished their basement off and there was, there was a nice little thing with the TV down there. And there was my father's workroom and he installed swinging doors that looked just like that to get in there. And all I did all day long was pow through them like I was a cowboy. I would just do that over and over and over and over. You're going to break the door. Stop. You're going to break the doors. I must have done that 10,000 times. And that's all I could think of watching shade because of course right it's the imagination of a cowboy right those those doors are completely impractical they're, they're not really they're, they just signal you can't go in here but they're very easy to open they're not real doors I, and and i think what this movie does really well is we, when you imagine a cowboy standoff as a kid you don't think about the territorial disputes <laughs> that precipitated it right you just you're not you have no idea why right. you and the other guy are it's, standing in the street Yep. It's it's Jack Pouch. You don't care if he, if he called you a pig farmer or it smells like pigs in here or a sod buster. You don't know what any of that means. You're just like, there's a guy in a black hat and he's going to come after you and be mean to you and shoot you. One thing for movies that I don't understand why people still haven't gotten is that if somebody walks into the bar and orders like a cranberry juice or a soda pop, that you should just leave them alone. <laughs> you know, I know that. And of course, you know, that's like the famous yeah, moment. Soda from pop. The, the, the departed too. But I don't really understand why uh, villains continue to do that. Time it's the time. same. I think the same guys that pick a fight, like his name is Chris in, in the movie. I love when, to pick a fight with Alan Land for the soda pop. And I love how about how great is it when Alan Land kind of weighs the bottle in his hand for a second? Like, am I going to smash him in the face? Like in the departed like i think the same guys that pick on heroes in bars are like it's the exact same group of guys that decide to pick a fight with wolverine in a bar <laughs> like they're the same exact guys like this looks like the toughest person we've ever seen let me start with them i like how it's always four of them at the same time yeah, exactly okay. it's never one lovely guy what's your moment so my moment is when later in the film, when Joe um, Starrett realizes he's got to kind of like get everybody together and go back and he's going to go, go into town to face Riker and his wife says, Marion says, you know, it's just pride. It's a silly kind of pride. Don't I mean anything to you? Doesn't Joey? She thinks she totally has him there. And he says, it's because you mean so much to me that I've got to go. He says, do you think I can go on and live with you? And knowing that, that I quote unquote, you know, I showed Yella, like, like, how could I ever look at you again? How could Joey look at me again? And that, that reminded me so much of a famous poem that I know, you know, from the 17th century by Richard Lovelace to Lacosta on going to the wars. And, you know, in that poem, right, the speaker is accused by his, by Lacosta, you know, you're going to go off to a war. You're very unkind. You don't care about me. And his whole point is that I have to go. And the poem ends, you know, I could not love thee dear so much, loved I not honor more. I could not love thee dear so much, love I not honor more. And it just flashed at me watching the film. And I was like, yeah, like that idea has such resonance. And you could make fun of that idea as much as you want. But I think when Joe goes to leave, there is something admirable about him. And that's what I love so much about the movie. Like you said before, if Joe were a wimp, it wouldn't work. I think a lesser imagination than Jack Schaefer or George Stevens, they, they, that's what they would have done. It would have been like um, like the Karate Kid or something <laughs> where, where like, you know, you have this kind of misfit that doesn't fit in. But like Joe's like a, Joe's like a tough, he didn't want to do this but he, he has to and he has to be and like shane's kind of like the guy that kind of showed him the way that's why i think that the ensemble background works yeah. so well because obviously there's a need if you're thinking about the script there, there's a need for someone to serve as a foil to shane but when i think foil to shane of course i think someone who is incapable uh whereas the townspeople joey is yeah. incapable and and Joe is just the kind of person who could do some damage, but it's it's obviously a suicide mission. And then you find out for Shane, it still is. Yeah. All right, I'll see you in part three. 
Welcome back. So in part three, we always talk about the title or the ending or the key takeaways. I guess I'll ask, Dan, what do you make of the title? I don't know how they got this title. No, the title's great. And of course, I love how we don't know whether it's his first name or his last name. Um, the thing everyone talks about with the ending, of course, and I was eager to see this again when I reread the book because I'd forgotten is, you know, does he die? That's a big thing. Like, is Shane dead at the end? Some people are very adamant about this. Some people think it's very ambiguous. She say, He says, you're bleeding. It's okay. I'm not hurt. You know, he's leaning forward at the end. People say, that's how you ride a horse. I, I don't really think it matters. I think it works. It works either way. And the book is very ambiguous about about whether or not Shane is going to live at the end. He kind of rides away. You get Joey screaming, come back, come back. It doesn't happen. But I love how, like, I think the point is that not only is like Shane dead or dying as we're, we all will someday. The point is that, like, you know, the, the guns are out of the valley. Like he, he, he cleaned up the place kind of, he did his job and he's going, he's never coming back. You, you I'm sure there was some executive who thought of this, but it is inconceivable to think of Shane too. You, you could even conceive how someone made jaws too, or the French connection to, or whatever, but you can't imagine Shane to Shane, the return. And you know, it was pitched to somebody, but it's, he can't, be there anymore he says you know uh you know there's no going back from a killing you know I tr you, you can't change who you are so he can't be around so whether he he physically dies or not he he, he dies philosophically with with the, with the way the movie presents everything sure but he he does die i just <laughs> what we, made you say that uh well besides I mean, yeah, the way I, that I, he, slum he slumped over the side i mean that the that the way that these gunfights are portrayed in shane they let one crack of light in, in terms of realism, which is one, one thing that never happens in a cowboy movie, which is just some coward is hiding with a gun and kills you, which is, that's what happens in Shane, right? Shane, Shane is tough enough to fulfill, again, that liturgical drama of the gunfighter movie, which is where the gunfighter cleans out the saloon. But exactly as he says to Marion, and he, he says it's it's just a tool, and he uses his tool to clean it out. He gets cleaned out, and that's that's what has to happen. And it's it's not just that there's got to be some kind of sacrifice. And I agree with you that the that the point is that he's gone, right? Because otherwise, Shane too is about it's like Joey picking up Shane's guns. That's which, right. Which that's obviously, exactly what it's about. Which which is obviously the the point of him leaving and never right. coming back and not turning around. Um, but you know his his hurry to be off. Yeah. is obviously about the the fact that he doesn't want to die in front of Joey so he wants right. to get as as far as he can go uh, with with a gunshot wound and that's that's the only thing that makes the ending intelligible yeah that's funny that's funny and and it, what you said about clearing out the saloon though of course think about the end of unforgiven right and, and what i'm saying is that the end of unforgiven is would be a violation of that had not uh, they, they do their liturgical death early Right. Um, which is where, you know, Clint Eastwood with all the subtlety goes in the world like he dies for what we done. And it, it, like, OK, I, I get it. And I do love Unforgiven, too, obviously. Too. But, you Me know, too. that's that's how that's you can like, tell what's going on there. Yeah, that's why that's why Unforgiven is a movie about Shane. Like Unforgiven is a movie about watching Shane and about what's supposed to happen at the end. We're getting into a different movie here or something. But certainly, you know, that idea that, right, he doesn't want Joey to see him die because, and again, why not? Not just because it's, 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 he's a little kid and stuff like that, because that's the whole image. And I love how George Stevens even doesn't let you, because he could have made Shane's death much more pronounced. I mean, the fact that sure. people, the fact that people say, is he dead? Is he not? Like if you watch it with somebody for the very first time and a person said to me, 
wait a minute, like he's, he's, he's dead, right? I, I don't think that's a stupid question. I think you have to think about it, right? And I think that the film doesn't even show you him. We see Stonewall die way more uh, blatantly or, or, you know, than, than we see Shane die. And I think that George Stevens is kind of in on it. And I think that's very cool about the ending. Yeah, I, I think that they intend to give us the same experience of Joey, which is to not see yeah. Shane die. But at the same time, if he's actually okay, Joey's like nine and it's it's a it's a two mile walk back to town in the dark. Like you, you couldn't give him a ride <laughs> right, if you're right. fine, you know. Yeah. Th- so that that's why he has to ride off the other way. And that's why, of course, the great thing about Joey being a kid is he just come back. But of course, he that's a child, right? That's a child's innocent view of the world when he screams, "Come back, Shane! Come back!" And of course, he can't. But we will. Listen to our next episode. And thanks for listening to our episode about Shane. You could follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. You could follow us on Letterboxd. Mike loves Letterboxd. Mike, how much do you love Letterboxd? I think it's the it's better than Goodreads in terms of movies. Yep, it's great. So follow us there. You'll see what we've been watching. Let us know what we should watch next. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.